0: Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is called Seldom Said. It's the place where conversation matters. My name is Robert. Special guest today is Ms. Rosalind Kind. Rosalind is a singer, actress, recording specialist, an activist, if there's anything she's not, we haven't been made aware of it yet. Welcome to Seldom Said, Rosalind.
1: Thank you, Robert. Nice. Thank you for having me.
0: It is our pleasure, I can assure you. Can we start with a little bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place?
1: Wow. You know, you're asking for a long-winded answer, <laughs> but because uh, it's been many years. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, in the Flapper section uh, actually, our station on the on the IRT subway was Newkirk Avenue, so it was the end of the next station was Brooklyn College, which was the end of the line. Um, I was, you know, basically uh, middle class raised and went to public schools in um, in Brooklyn, PS 269, PS 89. I started at Yeshiva Rambam for my first schooling. Um, I moved to Manhattan when I was, 14, and uh there i I um I aims more towards um well my high school but I was really egging to be doing more than that and I started taking jazz dance classes and uh and um, expanding because I always liked to dance when I was a kid I used to pretend when I was young I think I'm going in circles but um when I was young, I used to stand in front of the mirror and play my favorite records and act them out or sing with people I loved or um, create ballets to the the um, orchestrations of, of motion pictures, you know, <laughs> uh, act out shows. I would do all the parts. Um, that was mostly what I did as a kid, except I did have a Shirley Temple doll. <laughs> um and in school, you know, I did some shows, but I really, I really didn't come into my own till much, much later. I, I got into show business um, when I was still in high school, but I was, I wasn't in show business yet. I was starting to learn how how to record and stuff by, um, by recording uh, demos for my sister's uh, sister's publishing firm. Um, I didn't say who I was, did I? Did you ask me that? You did ask me that. I'm going in so many strange places. No, um, no I didn't ask
0: that. Uh, I'm leaving any descriptive nature of of our conversation up to you.
1: Oh, okay. All righty. So I, I did demonstration records for my sister's publishing. My sister's Barbara Streisand. I'm I'm the baby sister on the rung. We have an older brother and my sister is next and then I bring up the rear. Um, And... uh. Doing that, I was where I was finally like, kind of setting myself, wanting to have a career in the business. Because up until that time, I thought I was going to be a math teacher. Um, but I always loved singing, and I spent a lot of time alone at home and acting things out and creating fantasy worlds for myself, taking television shows that I loved as a kid and uh, write, writing myself and creating without without having a script, but. Creating a scene like I'm I'm part of their family. I was married to the father or whatever. <laughs> I would create little scenarios for myself to act out. I spent a lot of my alone time like that, or singing out with records that I that I loved. And uh, I was a child of the British Invasion. You know, the late the, the most late Motown into the British Invasion. So those were a lot of my influences. Although I loved Shirley Bassey, I loved uh, Mathis. A lot of a lot of uh, Those people came into my life because of what my sister listened to as well, or my mother. And so I had a little of both worlds, the teenage world I was growing up in and the adult world uh, with the incredible performers of the day and theater. I started going to theater when I was, well, actually, I really didn't start till my sister was in theater and I was still in grade school. And I remember my teacher saying to me, well, Robin, why don't you tell us where you were last night? Um, so I kind of, I guess, partially raised with show business in my family because my sister left home when she was a teen and I was still a kid. And, um, I, I always looked up to my sister. I looked up to my brother. I, I was like, you know, the real baby sister that thought they were everything. And, um, so the, the influences came there. And then when I was in high school, Uh, when I was recording, I was, it was suggested, uh, you know, do you want, would you like to, you know, be in the business? And I said, yeah, I think I would really, I like, I like this and I, and I love doing it. So, um, I started, um, having auditions for record companies and for backing because in those days to get a career started, you needed money. So if you had a manager or whatever they would go after, like you would do a performance or something and sing for people. Who could possibly put money into your career, starting off your career or whatever? Um, so I did several of those, and and I did get signed to RCA Records uh, before I graduated high school. And as a matter of fact, my graduation day from Julia Richmond High School, uh, I was I marched down the aisle to pomp and circumstance at nine a.m. and twelve p.m. I was at RCA Studio B when they were still on Twenty First or Twenty Third Street. On, in Sixth Avenue, somewhere around there before they moved to uptown. Um, I must ask and you. I, I, you know, I started, I started working towards a career, you know. Um, I had a manager. Uh, he got me musicians. We got some backing and we started, um, <clears throat> to work, to work on putting uh, a show together, go after, as we were recording in the studio and, And, um, you know, I I made my debut on the Ed Sullivan show when, uh, after I started performing around the country, breaking in my new show when I was 18, um, we were working towards uh, an upcoming engagement at the Plaza Persian Room in those days, an incredibly high-end nightclub. And I was one of the youngest people that were going to play there. And RCA, my album had come out earlier in the year. I did my Ed Sullivan shows. Um, I traveled to nightclubs and did an RCA record tour around the country leading up to this opening night in the Persian room. Um, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was scary. It was fun. I remember walking to the Ed Sullivan show uh, and it was a blizzard. It was one of the worst blizzards of the year. And we lived on Fifty Seventh between Eighth and Ninth. And in the blizzard, because there was no cabs, nothing, with my umbrella going in and out, I was walking to the Ed Sullivan Theater to Fifty Second Street and Broadway. Um, That's a marvelous amazing. story. We had, we had a we had a captive audience because a lot of people were stuck at home. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, I, I remember thinking to myself, where, I'm looking at the camera." do I look in the camera or do I look at the light <laughs> was like, you know, questioning myself? It was, it was exciting. It was scary. Um, but I loved it. I loved it. And I, you know, I still had many things to do with, with the years to come to grow into that, into the role of being a performer. Cause I was so young. I mean, not young, naive in so many ways. And, uh, and had management that kind of told me what to do, how to do it, whatever. Uh, till they, you know, till I got the freedom that I wanted to be to be me without somebody telling me who I am because I grew to know, to know who I am.
0: I must ask, and, you, if I may, yeah. uh, it's a, such a marvelous story. You mentioned Flatbush in Brooklyn. I am a product of Flatbush in Brooklyn.
1: really? Where? Where? Tell me.
0: Uh, Clarkson Avenue, just uh, south of Ebbets Field.
1: Ah, famous Ebbets Field, the Dodgers.
0: But there was something yeah. about that, though. I've never gotten it out of my system. There's something quintessentially alive about it. Was there something about urban life that prompted you still further to represent yourself to a large group of people? You know,
1: I, I can't say that there was something about that because as a child, I was incredibly shy, incredibly shy. It was even hard to get me to sing in school, you know, solo. I would sing in the choir, the chorus, and I remember once in eighth grade, I did do a performance, and I didn't do it again until high school. Um, I mostly did my performing to myself at home and in the mirror, you know, and just creating, creating a, my own environment. Um, but the big city, you know, I never knew anything else at that time. I didn't know rural areas because I... I, when I was born, I was brought to Nostrand and Newkirk Avenue uh, to our building in Flatbush and East 26th Street. And so that was all I've known. But I do feel that what what it opened me up to was, you know, the melting pot. Brooklyn was very much a melting pot.
0: Indeed. And so
1: you know, I, I grew up with Italian kids and Chinese kids and, um, you know, all all denominations. And I didn't feel like I had judgment in my system, you know? Um, That's marvelous. I don't think children judge. I think it's what's put into them from their parents. You know, um, they come in with such innocence. I remember standing online line uh, for tickets for A Hard Day's Night at the Fox Theater downtown, and, we're, you know, where all the rock and roll shows were. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I met a girl. She was... Um, she was partly black but i didn't even stop to think about it and you know we were gabbing about our, how we love the beatles and this and that and my girlfriend and we sat together in the theater i invited her to come visit me at my home you know i didn't think about those things yeah. i liked her i liked her i liked her heart her friendliness yeah. you know and i think most kids come from there if uh, they could only stay that way and not be influenced by you know the, sometimes the judgments of parents and, You know, but it's kind of a hard thing to expect, I guess, for people to be so free of heart. Do you feel that the world has to come in that's what the world has to get to know, mm-hmm. to be free of heart and to trust. And just because somebody looks different, you have the same color blood, you come from the same energy, we all are energy in bodies, and we embody that heart felt. of of the universe above, God, the universe, whatever you feel comfortable, however you feel comfortable describing it. Uh, I'm comfortable with God, you know, but I also use the universe because I'm a child of the new age as well. And, um, and I just think we all need to come to grips with that and to get rid of uh, the distrust and the hatred. And, you know, everybody should have a right to live. Everybody should be happy. Every, you know, in my, in my era growing up, I don't, Robert... I ne- we were middle class. I never thought about somebody being richer than me. I had a full life. I went to school. I had friends. I played outside. I did homework. I went to the movies. I went to the beach. I never, I never thought of you know discriminatory feelings. Um, do you try to? And I think we.
0: Do you huh? try to take people somewhere honest when you saying not only promulgating or prompting them to listen but to take them back to an innocence that they fear they've lost?
1: I hope I do I hope like when I you know I pick songs I if I don't relate to them I can't sing them so if somebody said to me it, it's a it's a hit if I don't relate to it I won't do it Um, I have to I relate songs most of the stuff comes of you know all songs that are the best are like about love or about Love that's gone wrong, but how you can think about it and handle it in a better way. Um, looking to learn, learning to love who you are and accept yourself. And I'm still, we, I'm every day there's improvement, every day there's a journey, you're never finished. And even when we leave this earth and go into another plane, there's a never, another level that the soul has of learning. We are put on this earth to learn unconditional love. We're put here, and we're given free will in the hopes that we will come together and accept each other and live in universal love and peace and harmony and health and joy.
0: Do you feel then that God gave you a voice, or are you borrowing God's voice?
1: I think that God blessed me with a voice, and what I, what I say before I go on stage every night is to please, dear God, let me be your vessel to spread your message of love and light. Let me touch whoever's out there who needs their heart touched. Not for me, but for you. Let me be that vessel. Or one of your vessels. I can't say that I'm the only one. There are more. There are a lot of enlightened people who are working for the good and for the light.
0: When you sing, you do bring the listening audience to a different plane. I always remember as a child listening to Walter Houston, who could not sing, but on screen he sang or talked through "September song, and my father wept. Is there any way, or is it impossible, to teach what takes you to that different ability? Frank Sinatra always said, Victor had the best pipes in the business, but... How does one get rid of the butt?
1: It's about the heart. It's about the heart, Robert. Um, I don't know if it's teachable. I always think if somebody says to me, would you do a class? I say, well, I can't teach somebody to to, to sing because that's also just natural to me. But maybe I would like to give, you know, help them reach into their heart to express themselves in truth, to really not just, you know, be out there and be a facade and I can always tell when somebody's not into their, into their words, into their story, because a, a song is a three-act play. And you must relate to it. You must relate to it to be able to share it honestly with your audience, to get people to feel. If you don't feel it, they won't. It's more than a voice. It's what you do with it, how you express the love from your heart. The truth of your heart, even if there's some anger in it. In a song, you might be in a situation. In an acting piece, I've gone from one song to another with emotion, where it transpires you know, trans- uh, into something that was negative that becomes good. That you know, and it's but it comes from your heart. I don't stop there and think about well, I'm, I'm going to do this here and this there. It's in the moment, and that's why every time I sing a song, it's not always the exact same. You ever- because it's where I am emotionally at that moment.
0: Indeed. Have you ever been in your own mind so successful of an evening, feeling so good about the performance that you were concerned about the next night and whether one could reach that point again?
1: I think if I think I think, every, you know, I think everybody in show business has that Um. But I, you know, I can't, I can't stop and think about it. But you, know, you everybody used to say when I was first starting out, usually your um, your opening night is great, then the second night's a little downhill, then the third night is better than the first.
0: Night.
1: <laughs> you know, that's what people used to say. Um, I don't know that that's true anymore. I, I, I really just think it's where that person who's performing is at that very moment they're performing. Where is your head? Where is your heart? What are you trying, to? what do you want, not trying, what do you want to communicate to
0: others? I had interviewed, uh, what must be about a year and a half ago, a singer who worked as backup, or backup singer actually, for Frank Sinatra, and she was saying that he went off into his dressing room and read the lyrics as a poem Mm -hmm. and then lent his own voice to it, do the lyrics mean that much to you that you can read them as if you were simply looking at a page in a book?
1: Yeah. If I believe the story, yes. Most definitely.
0: That is fascinating. And I've done that
1: too. I've done that with another song I was doing. I was in the studio with my... With my producer, and because it was a, was a song we were trying to attack, attack in a new way, because it had been done by so many people, we needed to come up with something new and different that had it hadn't been treated like that before. And I've taken time off these days to uh, be in the studio and record, uh, do some new recordings. That one is out called Save the Country, but I have another one coming out, and then I have four more, and then I'm going to record some more. I want to put them out digitally first because I don't really know where CDs are going to be in the near future, but um, we're doing like digitally, you know, uh, through the internet across the board. Um, And there was one song we were having a hard time how to attack it. And I, and I I read it as a poem because it even helped with orchestrating it. You know,
0: Do you feel that not enough attention is given to lyrics?
1: I think in some cases people fawn over a voice and a vocal cord more than they do the meaning of what they're hearing. They get more excited over a trick voice or a you know or a riff than they do than they do what the lyric is saying. It's the lyrics that bring the the hair up from your arms. It's how that person is delivering or living because they're delivering it positively because they're living in that moment.
0: Do you feel then that rehearsal time is necessary, a necessity?
1: I think you have to rehearse. And there are times I want to rehearse more. If I haven't done a show in a while, you know, I want a little more time or whatever. Uh, if, I've, if I'm on the road and I've been doing it every night, no, I do, I do a sound check because I know when I walk out, I'm in, you know, I'm in that place. Uh, but if it's new, you need, some, you need to rehearse. But then there's a point of over-rehearsing, too, which I don't like because then it takes away the spontaneity. But I'm always spontaneous because every night it's a different audience and different things can happen. So I, I respond to what happens with my audience as well.
0: Do you find a measure of satisfaction then in the intimacy of a smaller audience?
1: I I find a satisfaction in it, but my goal is to have that be in a major room as well. To me, to reach people in a big seated room with the, I don't know, hundreds of seats, that, to reach them as a performer who believes a lyric, you should be able to go beyond just the intimate room. You should be able to make the big place an intimate room.
0: Do you feel then that anything conversational that's meaningful, can be made into a song?
1: I don't know if anything can, but it depends who's writing it and who it's meaningful to. You know, but I think it's, yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. The song that I have coming out in January, it's called Light of Love. It was written by myself, my musical director, Michael Orland, and our our friend Judy Quay, who's spiritual like I am. She, as a matter of fact, she's working right now and the frequency 528, which is God's frequency, which John Lennon wrote Imagine In. And we're working on doing that. She's setting up a site to help people learn about it because we want to get to the heart. This is God's frequency. It reaches the heart. So it means changing how you tune because 528 relates to not 440, but 444. But that difference in the sound or is heart, it reaches your your soul. It reaches your heart. So um, we're working, you know, we're working on that. So I, well, I was saying that inspiration. So we wrote the song Light of Love. What inspired that song for me was when I was had done my search. Came the time of 1987. It was a harmonic convergence, and I went to Sedona to climb Bell Rock, which is one of our big vortexes, to bring in the harmonic convergence, the sunrise. I climbed up. With a friend at 4 a.m. in the morning, all people gathered around the mountain. Different groups, tribes, people, all doing the earth, the earth um, to bring in the sunrise when all the planets were in alignment, signifying the new age. Signifying we're on the you know we're creating the age of Aquarius where love has to be the main ingredient. And that's what inspired the song Light of Love, which we didn't, you know, we wrote it in the 90s. I've done it on the road uh, with just piano, you know, but I now have it recorded fully with an incredible arrangement, and even with native drums. And I'm playing some of the drums with Stefan, my producer. Um, but it's really, it's of the heart. It's of the heart. It's of the soul.
0: This is fascinating. Uh, there are comparable parallels. And I would imagine our own life experience. Sedona is one of my favorite places. That's where I go to center. That's where you go to center. Explain that to those in the listening audience who are not entirely grasping what you're saying.
1: To center yourself in peace and calm. I, I do meditation also. I meditated a lot in the 80s, which is when, I had, uh, when was when I discovered my purpose for being here during that uh, regression. Um, And I was soul searching at the time and reading a lot of books on the new age and what happens after we leave here and what are the influences and why am I, you know, it's like this question you ask yourself, why am I here? Who am I? And I was, you know, I had been through some ups and downs of marriage that didn't last a short marriage that didn't last. and, And I was questioning myself and I'm on the road and I was doing all this reading and then I was regressed in 1984 and I found out in this regression, I passed the birth canal, I didn't see any other year, but one year. And it was a year, it was like, it was Lemuria, which was the West Coast version of Atlantis. I was a man, I was, had a turban, I had the, you know, the white pantalone pants and sandals. I lived in a stone hut. And I was involved in a duel for the woman I loved. And in this, in this, in this scenario that came out, um, accidentally during the duel, the woman who was standing to the side, she's the one that got killed accidentally by the, by whoever's sword. And through all my lifetimes, I have come back looking for that love. But, and my word associations, it wasn't one-on-one. It was world, universe, peace, love, harmony. It wasn't one-on-one. Rosalind wasn't here to be one-on-one although I hope I still can find something like that it would be lovely but my purpose was the world harmony peace love Where's there? Where's and there? and I've gone through many and you know many different changes even since then to come to where I am today you know because we grow every day there's no such such thing as, as uh, learning stops whether you grow spiritually physically mentally Growth continues. If you don't, you're stagnant and you're lost.
0: There are many who speak as you do and point to a time, a moment, a second, a presence. I've been involved with the Tibetan government in exile, Tibetan Buddhism for well over 40 years, met with Dalai Lama and so forth, and the premise always seems to be, let it be, it will come. Do you have an epiphanal moment? where you can say before that i was not after that i am
1: um yeah there was a time where i even got uh, i there was a séance a guy who a psychic who did a night at um a club out here that uh, a historical club called the backlot um and a Studio One's back lot. And uh, I I was a performer there in the 70s, and I did some stuff there in the 80s. And one night they brought in this psychic from Hawaii, and they asked people, there were thousands, there were so many people, it was packed. But he asked people to write a question and send him a question. So just tons of pieces of paper. And he had a blindfold on. And he would, like, feel a piece of paper and then... You know, kind of. He knew what the question was by feeling it, blindfolded, and he would call the person's name out. It was it was unbelievable. Well, I was afraid to send up a note <laughs> or a question. And at one point in in the evening, he said, "Rosalind, kind, I know you're in this room. Why didn't you send me a message or a question?" That's
0: an incredible moment. And then moment. he said to
1: me, "Yeah." And he said to me, "I was like shocked. How did he know?" You? And he and And then he said to me, I have one message for you, Rosalyn. Go with the flow.
0: That seems so incredibly difficult, given our time and place on this planet, particularly in a country like our own. But it's valid advice. It really is incredibly valid.
1: Because at some point, you you have to release and accept. You have to work for something, but sometimes you cannot fight the timing that is not yours. You know, and maybe there's some some other power or higher being or influence or master guide that knows where the timing is right. And so you may think something is postponed or held back, which I, you know, you used to get angry about. Why is this taking? And you have to pull back and take understanding and say, well, maybe there's a reason it's being held off. Maybe, do you remember there was um, an episode of the Twilight Zone? years ago. Do you remember the twilight zone? Yes, I do. Robert. Yes. Yes. There was an episode where a lady was in the hospital, Is she in the hospital and she, she got out and she had every night she had nightmares and the nurse she, that she left her room and went down to the morgue and the nurse would come out saying there's, mo- there's room for one more. And she ran. This was a nightmare. Every night in the hospital. When she got out of the hospital, she was getting on a flight to go, I don't know whether she was not home or she was going away. And she walks up the stairs and the and the um uh the hostess walks over to her and says there's room for one more.
0: I remember the story and the ending. And
1: she didn't get on the plane and yeah. the plane crashed.
0: Yes. That program I mean, took us to a lot of unusual places
1: it made you think yes it did i i am very much a thinker that there is life after death that our soul chooses to go on it chooses to come back it picked who we were born through because we we had certain lessons that would be found through that to those people or whatever that you come your soul comes through it, it picks its venue to experience the lessons it needs to learn you feel that we're not we're not kept we're not kept in in uh, you know of it, the awareness of it because I don't think people's minds could handle it, but it's stuck in the subconscious because even when you sometimes see a person across the room and you know you know them, you know you and automatic identification. We've probably been, or you have a conversation, or you you've been in a life with them before, maybe in another role.
0: Don't
1: come too- back.
0: Have you ever felt yourself perhaps inadvertently channeling someone's voice or style? I do remember Billie Holiday and Strange Fruit and singers trying to, in some way, channel what she said and how she said it. Have you ever found yourself becoming a reflection of someone you admired? Um,
1: on purpose. I, I mean, I love Shirley Bassey. I love... I love her drama. I love how she expresses, you know, diamonds are forever, forever. You know, it's like, and then she gets pretty, and then she. I love the commitment to the words. I love the feeling behind those words. I have the, you know, to me, if somebody has no feeling behind what they're singing, but they have, you know, great, great vocal cords, that doesn't turn me on. It's it's great, and it's something that, gee, I wish I had as good a vocal cord, but. It's the story. It's what they did to my heart that's going to matter to me. So I always love I You know, um, I love singers like that. I love singers. That are, they're singing with, from their own experience or something that they want to communicate um, and share worldly in a way of music that gets to people more readily, gets to the heart rather than a lecture or whatever, you know? I mean, you always had good teachers and bad teachers, and some of them really knew how to get to your heart so that you would learn. And then there were others that just didn't know how to handle kids. Do
0: you feel that it's easier then to extrapolate and interpret pain as a performer than it is to do the same with joy?
1: I think you should be able to express both.
0: Do you feel...
1: I do. I do songs that have pain, and I have songs that have joy. You have, you know, (laughs) because we 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 learn through our pain, but then we celebrate what we've learned in joy, and with joy,
0: because we've grown. Nina Simone had a great quote uh, that she directed toward Janis Joplin. She was asked what her opinion was to Joplin singing the blues. And Nina Simone responded to the reporter by saying, I hope she doesn't kill herself by reaching down for those black sounds. Is there a danger?
1: I guess with some, look how many have died. Jim Morrison, you know, there's been a lot, of, a lot of talent that has gone to those dark, 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 dark places. That's why I live, I tried my best since my learning and still growing to live in the light.
0: Hmm. Have you ever conceived of attempting something classical? Someone else's music over years and centuries, but still making that your own? Because it would seem, from listening to you and speaking to you at the moment, that's within the peripheries of your control.
1: You know, I don't know. I've never thought about that, but um, maybe I would. I mean, there's certain... Instruments that I I love the oboe and that to me is like the crying instrument. I have an oboe in my light of love I had to have an oboe <laughs> um, Just certain sounds and certain instruments, you know get to my heart and it can create a tear um, I Don't know if I it would be interesting. It would be interesting. I know there have been songs put to you know um, Classical music that they did in pop music right yeah. Like, isn't the song Till?
0: Indeed uh, it is, yes. Actually,
1: yes, and um, How Gentle is the Rains uh, that the Supremes did. I think that was originally a classical piece. Um, but you would want, if it wasn't uh, an opera and it's music, you would want incredible lyrics to go with it, to meld and mesh.
0: Woody Guthrie often said that everything is plagiarism. I sometimes react adversely to that, the idea that nothing is entirely new, it's borrowed and contoured. How do you respond to that?
1: I think just like the wheel was invented, and it keeps keeps living through the years. I mean, we have styles that we wear and they come back. Yeah, you know, But I know it, when it comes to music, having just written the one song I really ever wrote, which is why it means a lot to me, is um, you have to think about what notes when we were orchestrating. Whoa, my God, this, is, this configuration sounds a little too much like the Beatles, da-da-da, and you have to be conscious of it and change it and check it out. Um, people are very on top of that. You know? Um, but, you yes. know, I don't know, plagiarism... What, you know, if you're taking from somebody else, put quotes around it. <laughs> you know? Understood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you do have a very a very expressive laugh. I would imagine it lends itself well to performance in a cabaret.
1: <laughs> I hope so. Because the basic thing is to bring people to smile. And there's so much need of it today. So much chaos, so much confusion, so much... Hatred and, oh, my gosh, I, I long, you know, I, I long for simpler times with, with people with, with integrity and heart, compassion and eloquence and elegance, you know, and even if, if they're not, they don't speak the best, but to come from a heart, please. I don't like all this subversiveness. It makes me uneasy. It's very, it's horrifying. And our world is in such dire need of kindness and goodness and charity. there's what's going on now is horrifying. It
0: truly is. It's terribly worrisome. I would imagine, though, given the time and place of your thought process, that you're an you're an ambitious person in the sense of being an optimist. I like to think I am. Do you feel so?
1: I like to I like to think people tell me that, but I, I also have my moments where I You know, I ponder and I pull back and things disturb me, but I I try my best and I, you know, I try to work towards always being positive. Again, every day with people, nothing comes easy in life. Everything is a lesson. You have to strive to be who you are, to be who you want to be and not let the pressures of the outside world get to you because the real truth for you is within you.
0: The, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts has a questionnaire they often use, 500 questions, so it goes on forever and a day. But the last question is intriguing. You're at the pearly gates, and Peter approaches you. How would you like to be welcomed?
1: Um, with a string orchestra? <laughs>
0: Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All of them tuned to E? <laughs>
1: All of them tuned to 528. To <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Do you like uh, rapping? Do you like singing sounds rather than lyrics themselves?
1: No, I love lyrics. I love stories. I like to tell my my songs. I get very lost in my story. They all tell a story. I can take two pop songs, put them together, and they go from A to b uh where they where they grow they're sad they come around they realize and there's an ending or I mean I love stories
0: so you would not be a fan of uh, jazz practitioners who are scat singers
1: no i I you know that's not one of my Greatest Gifts, <laughs> I, 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 th- if I could do it, I could probably use it, but I'm, you know, I'm, I, I was, <laughs> was like, I'm really, there are such marvelous singers who are so, that is their expertise. I don't know that I could compete with that. That would be new to me, but that I would, t- 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 I've done a few things to stretch. I love stretching. Some, every musician I work with in some way has stretched me also. Vocally, I mean, I've working with Stefan Oberhoff, my muse, my producer and arranger. I've stretched in other ways in the recording studio, and it's phenomenal. It's such a great experience. Do you? have got to be open-minded to try things, you know.
0: Indeed. And then
1: and try it and make it your own.
0: Do you feel the potential is limitless in all of us, and yet we don't encourage it?
1: Yes. I do. I think there are even things that uh, probably I don't see myself, but I could probably do. But in, I question it with the mind. I think that's normal for people to do. You know, it's hard for everybody to think that they could, except there's only one person and I won't say the name. I think he could do everything. <laughs> I uh, I don't think that's true at all.
0: <laughs> An inferential but, uh, wave just washed over me. I <laughs> I sensed a name which I will not use either. <laughs>
1: What is that old poem, No Man is an Island?
0: Yes, yes. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it bells for thee. (laughs) You mentioned you loved dancing. Do you think you would have been as expressive in dance? I have always wondered, and I never heard him asked it, if Fred Astaire was ever spoken to by an interviewer who said, what do you love as an escape more? The dance or the voice? And he said? He did what Fred Astaire was quite good at doing, taking a dance step and weaving it around the corner until time ran out and you went on to the next question. <laughs> he was very vague about his responses. He didn't want to put a pin on them. Do you feel that you would have been as expressive a performer if you were a dancer? I do. I do move
1: on stage. I don't stand in one place. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I I do move. Uh, I studied dance with Luigi Lewis, master of jazz in New York when I was a teen, when I was 14. I lied about my age, but my then brother-in-law, Elliot Gould, brought me because I always loved to dance. And so he brought me to Luigi's and I was in class with all the gypsies from Broadway. We had the dances from Hullabaloo. Uh later Edmund Jr Patrick Eiarty, I mean, there were so many people. There was a time Richard Chamberlain was following me in class when he was there to do breakfast at tiffany's and uh and he came to class. I love movement i don't but i I think it's great to to do it if you if you have it number one, it's great exercise number two um, yeah, because when you sing, your body should just flow automatically. With your with your words, you shouldn't have to think about it. It should just flow. So grace is an important thing. There was somebody years ago when I was performing in Puerto Rico. They said that I glided on the stage like a gazelle or something. <laughs> 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 but I, you know, yeah, I think it's really important. And Luigi came to see me when I was at the Brooklyn College Performing Arts, and um, I introduced him. And I did an interview. I, I interviewed him. It's on. Um,
0: it's on YouTube.
1: Um, but I went to him when I was fourteen and he thought I should have been a dancer.
0: Indeed. That's interesting.
1: But I think it, it teaches people grace. I think if you're gonna be on the stage, it's nice to have grace. You know, but I just always love to dance and that's why that that doorway was opened by um my brother in law and my sister to go study dance when I was when I was still in school. And in that atmosphere I couldn't wait for my school bell to ring to get to Luigi's. I would come home at midnight after taking two, three classes and first sit down to do my homework and my mother would turn the lights out on me.
0: <laughs> that idea of grace, different persons have different extrapolations of it. Any religious leader likes to give it their own definition. How does Rosalind Kind define it for herself?
1: <sighs> it's an elegance. It's um, it's holding yourself up but with integrity and compassion and love. It's being true in, in, in a positive way and um, a loving way. It's all about love, Robert. It's all
0: about love. To some degree then, if one defines it as all about love, Does performing involve surrender? Yes. Can that be frightening?
1: You're open. You know, you're out there. you You are out there. And sometimes there's going to be people that like you, people that don't like you. But I am surrendering who I am because I want to share what I'm supposed to be sharing from the Lord above that's in my heart. And I put myself out there, and and I know that not everybody's going to love what, who I am and what I have to say. But I'm here to share it because I think I think it's good. <laughs> I think it's a good thing to open people's hearts and to and surrender. I mean, even in meditation, as you know, it requires surrendering and accepting, letting go, not trying to control every moment every person you can't control people you can't you can only take care of you and try to speak with people to bring them and help bring them into a a lighter way of being if they're not there yet you know you can't force people you can bring a horse to water you can't make them drink but you can put out the influences the good the goodness and hope that everybody you know in meditation class they say by us coming there to meditate for ourselves and bringing center to ourselves and putting it, putting the energy into the world to bring fullness and love and compassion to others and bring them in.
0: To make, to, it a fo- to make it a focused question, then, Save the Country, when you heard Laura Nero perform it, what in a sense caused you to not so much surrender but embrace that song?
1: I, you know, it, because it was a time during, you know, Vietnam, and I really wasn't into it because it was before I was in show business, I think. Um, maybe I was in show business, so I was young. But it it held, but it held firm to me because it was about coming together. I'm going to come on down to the, we're going to wash you up and we're going to wash you down. We're going to lay the devil. I'm not going to let the bad divide us we're not going to let the bad come into our life we're going to stay hopefully open-hearted and good and um and when i was on tour years later i i did at one point i did a new age show and that was in my show but i never recorded it and when we were going through all of this even though light of love was originally going to be my first release i came in and i said to stefan i said i have this song i did it in my new age show it's a cover it's laura nero and we have to do it. It's needed now at this time. And so we put the other one aside and we went to work on Save the Country, which took us a lot of time because there were so many people that cut it that we had to come up with something original, something that would hit home.
0: Do you then feel that Save the Country, and I've listened to it myself, is an extension of your search for a composite type of porridge of sounds.
1: Oh, you mean the different music genres?
0: The different genres, the different presentations.
1: Explain porridge of sounds, am I getting
0: it wrong? Uh, No, not entirely. Uh, Indeed, I'm just thinking of the idea of song being really a porridge of one's life experiences there are many types of sound I can find in that song after listening to it a few times. Mm-hmm. Was it conscious or did you just allow it to come?
1: It was conscious to a point, but it was also unconscious to a point. You know, but we knew we had to be, we had to make it different and out of the box. And it's a hard, it's, a, it's hard to describe because it goes so many places, but it. it did it so beautifully. Um, and expressed what needed to be expressed.
0: You consider yourself then a work in progress.
1: Always, always. I'm never. You're never. Good, you're never good enough. There's always more to learn. Whether it's spiritually, physically, mentally, your heart is. You know, our heart. Goes, every day there's another lesson. You come. Things come across your path. How do you handle them? How you know. Have you learned? Have you grown in a positive way? You know, and how you even, when you realize yourself, let's say I can look at myself and say, oh my God, why did I do that? That was so not right. And I'll pull back. You know, it's like, it's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make a mistake. And everyday people do. But you have to let go and say, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to remember that for next time because it's not who I am. It's not what I want to be. I, own, I want to be this, but we are human and we do backstep. And there's got to be allowance for that, as long as somebody's really trying to be good. Be <laughs> trying to be a whole human being.
0: How negative, then, can criticism be, as well as being positive?
1: Oh, it depends where it comes from. Look at what we have right now. <laughs> do I believe what comes out of that vessel? No. <laughs>
0: Doing a bit of verbal dancing now. <laughs> but I, I think I'm in step with you.
1: <laughs> oh. oh, it's certainly a time in history that we've never seen before, and God willing, we'll will never see again.
0: With all of these experiences, with life being so experiential for you, and I'd like to thank myself and the listening audience. Is there an autobiography, a book in your future?
1: You know, people ask me that all the time, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't, sometimes I don't think my life is all that interesting. Why not? And then people say, no, Are you kidding? I said, Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there is a book. At one point, I was thinking about writing about a book about dealing with my mom's Alzheimer's. But so many people did that, and so I, I didn't. But, um, it, it, you know, it's hard in so many ways because sometimes even to get a person to want to interview you or something, or to say, let you say they're interested in a book by you, they want you to blacken other people to make it interesting. And I just,
0: I'm just not going to do that. Correct. It's been said that, uh, for instance, a lullaby is propaganda for a child. What would be the first sentence in this apocryphal autobiography that we're considering? More <sighs> than just a sigh. On a date, huh? <laughs> I'm trying to guess
1: it. a sigh. Um <laughs> as, I don't know as Oh my gosh. Um
0: any question for any of us really. The day
1: the day I the day today I discovered the light the lightness of being the lightness of sharing love.
0: We think about our children and as the song says we try to teach our children well I don't often see parents finding it easy to teach love to a child. What advice?
1: Well, I think if you want to teach love to a child, you have to be love.
0: You are a child of the 60s. I think, think huh? You are a child of the 60s. I think we both (laughs) are. I'm looking back over my shoulder, seeing if they're still there. You
1: are the example. You are the example for, for your child. That's the first example they know. You know, um, and but children do have their. They come into this world with their own personality. I mean, I was always Miss Goody Two Shoes. I was. I don't think I was ever a problem for my mom, except if I disappeared from the front of the house and went to the park without telling her. <laughs> but
0: is there I a time in... And- Is there a time and place, though, for confrontation with adversity? I would be loath to say that. But again, we live in a time where adversity is at our doorstep. It's a shadow casting itself over our lives. Are we too quiet, too reserved? Is our music, our art, our literacy too controlled? I
1: I think the reason this is happening is to make people awaken, to be more involved, not to just sit on the sidelines, not to just say, okay, that's going to happen anyway. You know, no, you fight for what's right. You fight for what you believe in your soul, what you believe in your heart to be right. For your children, for your family, for friends, for you know everybody. I mean, you just, you fight for what's right. I think people need to have a voice. They shouldn't cower from sharing how they feel. Do
0: you agree then?
1: You
0: know, I, Please continue.
1: It, no, I just, I just, you know, the thought of like, you know, people being put down for, for the, telling their truth or whatever, that's horrifying. We shouldn't, but we shouldn't, we should be able to do it in conversation and not get into hatred.
0: Do you agree then with Dante that the last circle of hell is reserved for those who are apathetic? The no conversation, no song, no poem should be apathetic. It should have a view. Mm.
1: Everybody should.
0: Perhaps we've gone too far (laughs) down Mm -hmm. that road. Perhaps we've gone too far down that road. I'm looking at the clock. We're within five minutes of what has been a marvelous program. Usually, it's indicative of a fine conversation when the time goes by so quickly. Yeah, can we, can we, can we discuss basically what your future plans then are?
1: I'm finishing up uh, as I'm going along to finish up my recordings and get them out. Hopefully, this, all of them uh, this year, and uh, get myself back on the road again, performing, touring.
0: For the youngster out there listening to this program with their parents in kind, the person who wants to in some way replicate musical success, what is the most imperative bit of advice you've ever gotten? And what is the most imperative bit of advice you'd love to share?
1: To have faith in yourself because in this business and in this world, Nothing happens more, unfortunately, than people wanting to knock you down, even if it's for competition or whatever. And if you don't have faith and belief in yourself, they'll they'll knock you off. So if you want something and you know you have it, have that dire faith that doesn't die and stand up against the wind that's going against you. Believe in yourself and never let that stop. Is a that that you're better than the next person just to give yourself the confidence to know that you're okay or all right and this is what you want and you deserve to have it. God wants us to have everything that we want. But you know, if you don't have the faith in yourself, it knocks it out. And, And negativity can make that happen really badly if you're not strong enough.
0: You would say that this is really an adventure and a search into that person. Close your window, turn off the radio, and hum softly to yourself. Are you a poet, Rosalind?
1: Um, I don't know that I'm a poet. I don't know that I think in those terms, do I? When I talk, I don't know. I don't listen to myself. I just talk.
0: Talk with um, a with a pleasant rhythm that can't really be taught.
1: Some kind of timing. I, it must be some kind of timing that I'm blessed with that I can't even tell you that I'm aware that I'm doing.
0: Where will the next months find you for anyone who would love to hear you sing?
1: Hopefully uh, not in the very beginning um, but of the year, but hopefully by mid-year, uh, hopefully back on the road, hopefully in New York, hopefully here in L.A. and around... Uh, around uh, the country. Oh, I will be in Florida in February, but I think those are private dates on February 7th and 8th. I
0: see. Um, Where in New York will you be?
1: Well, the last time I was at 54 Below, in 2014 and 2015. So I have to uh, look into whether it will be there again, or someplace else, or
0: whatever. Do you mind if I privately, plaintively, perhaps emotionally over the lines when we do other programs, remind people of when the date is approaching? Do you have an idea as to the date?
1: Uh, I don't at this moment in time, but I will definitely make sure that you are kept aware.
0: You're very kind for both the program, for the advice, and for the date. Uh, We must do this again at your acquiescence. Thank you. One would love to.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Robert. It's been a joy speaking with you this morning. My pleasure.
0: The program has been (laughs) seldom said.